I'm Taylor. And I'm Brittany. Together, we are two sisters who are here to help you learn some tips and tricks to help navigate this crazy journey called life. We bring you the perspective of a licensed LMHC therapist and expecting mother. And a slightly eccentric mama, too. When we combine ours as sisters, we like to consider ourselves as quite the dynamic duo. So join us as we talk about all life has to offer. So today we're going to talk about mental health in general. It's a big topic, I feel like, nowadays where we have been much more wisdomonious, I think, than Brit when you and I were growing up. What is that word? Wisdomonious. Okay. I come up with lots of words. So therapizing, wisdomonious, get ready, peoples. All right. I feel this. <laughs> but for this month, since there is a theme, this is actually Mental Health Awareness Month, which that didn't. I don't even know when that was established. I probably should have looked that up beforehand. But um, that was established, I think, in the last couple of years. We didn't have that growing up. Do you remember anything like mental health awareness or even talking about it? No, not at all. I feel like we didn't even talk about mental health like at all when we were kids. I mean, yeah. back in the you know old school days of the 90s. <laughs> I know. I was like, we're not that old. <laughs> but then recently it's really come about where I feel like even my like fourth graders coming in, fifth graders coming in, they are talking about mental health, which is crazy because when you would hear somebody was going to therapy when we were kids and I, I graduated in 2011, so we're not that old, no. right, from high school. But that's where it's insane to hear these kids have all this verbiage, boundaries, toxic relationships, things like that. And I think that's where mental health awareness, we're getting more understanding of it. But in general public, what does it really look like? And what is actually the proper way to package it? Because I hear kids applying boundaries, but then I'm like, no, you don't go into a relationship applying all these boundaries and all these things the way they are, right? But even from a younger age, like, I mean, my little guy's seven and he talks about his feelings and his emotions and that hurt my feelings or I'm having a hard emotional day. Like, I think just knowing how to verbalize these things is so important from just really young age. Yeah. And I think how we teach our kids and how we teach others to to implement it and practice it is key because you can have the right verbiage, but then what is that application of that concept, right? And that's where I see a lot of those two things cross over where it doesn't always make sense and it actually causes more problems. Like my teens will be like, oh, I set healthy boundaries in this relationship. It's like, no, you basically just told them you don't want them to do anything you don't like. That's not a healthy boundary. That's just right. <laughs> for a relationship, right? So I think um, that's one thing that I've noticed that we can really do with this podcast. And this month, we're going to really talk about that. Okay, so let's start then. Um, you had mentioned that we're going to talk about, you know, mental health and what it is. So how would you fully describe it? What is mental health? Right. Okay, this is a huge classification, right? So since I'm a therapist, licensed therapist, I can diagnose mental health illnesses. So we have a few different ways to categorize it. If you were to do a clinical diagnosis, we're talking about like being able to diagnose mental health disorders. Some people call them illnesses. Some people call them diseases. We just call them disorders nowadays, right? Because you're not diseased if you have anxiety. Right. And that's where we're looking at like higher level diagnoses. You know, we all know the top ones like bipolar, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, like all the trendy, catchy ones. Right. That would be clinical mental health that we're looking at. Day-to-day -day mental health is looking at, are we aware of what we're feeling, why we're feeling it, and what we need? That's like basic one-on-one formula. And that's nothing to be ashamed of, right? Like you had said earlier, those are just human emotions, which everybody has those. Yeah. So but when do you think that this shifted them? Let's talk a little bit about like the history of mental health, maybe a little. Yeah. So I think this is where it's really key to understand what's happened in our society, to understand why, like what you said, it's nothing to be ashamed of, to recognize what we feel. There's no problem with that. We could all say that, right? But like we just talked about in 2011, when I was going to school, in 2008, when you were going to school, like in high school, 
there was a lot still wrong talking about going to therapy and saying you had anxiety and all these things, right? Yeah. So going back in history, we're going to get a little nerdy for a second. You ready? Oh, no. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> so going back in time, you would hear <laughs> religion ran a lot of society, right? So right. Catholicism, all these major epic religions, you look at everything for kind of running societies and they usually had a religion as their center they would classify things for people's mental illness usually associated with you were just bad you had a demon possess you you're just sinning too much something like that so like you 100%, would look yeah yeah right like we all hear these stories that this person was outclassed with demons and things like that right yeah and the pigs and all kinds of stuff yeah all this <laughs> stuff right so that was how it originally started was people disassociated their religious beliefs with thinking that's how people thought and if you had a different way of thinking from the norm then that's how it turned out then as time went on we get into the 1800s you start to see a slight shift where people got curious like john locke is like fatherhood of psych for us and he's starting to explore more things you get in the 1920s and we've all heard a person called Freud, right oh yes <laughs> he he's a gem of a person <laughs> so for Freud? those who don't know tell us what freud kind of was and like a g-rated <laughs> thing <laughs> Okay, coming from a person that didn't have to study hours and hours of psych history, Britt, what do you know about Freud? Wasn't Freud like the concept that like everybody wanted to have sex with their mom? Yep, there's one that's called the Oedipus complex. That's right. Okay, Oedipus, yeah, back from mythology. Oedipus, yeah, from Greek yeah. mythology where the, um, he was married to his mother. Mom yeah. issues. Yeah, I remember that. And then I remember that everything is like driven to sex. Like that's all that you want all the time and you do yep. everything for sex. Yeah. So his whole base... So they're, they're called theoretical orientations. As we went on through psych, people started to create their own theories of why things are coming about. So there's the religious one that was running for the longest time, right? Right. And then you had people get more scientific about it and say, maybe this is more medical than what we're thinking. Freud comes around. Freud, Freud I, I really think he probably had some mommy issues himself, but. Oh, had to. <laughs> like, come on. You don't come up with some of these theories without it. He's such label. a man, though. Like, let's just say this is such a Penis man theory. What are you talking about? Like, what the heck? Like, everything phallic symbols. If you look at child oh. development, it's literally all sexual based, right? So it's just oh, 100%. like. 100%. 100%. So. As it's developing, he was called the psychoanalysis, but his main idea is that you're going to go into a person's unconscious, like subconscious levels, things that we're not actually thinking and de like delve into those in order to create meaning or understanding of why a person's doing what they're doing. Okay. So at the end of the day, therapist, that's all we're trying to do is, is identify- a good outcome of Freud. He, well, he's, I'm going to be honest, he's crazy, but he is the father of our whole- field like if without freud we would never have had any of this other development right because he was there after the first world war which had a lot of like shell shock and things like that guys were coming back from these terrible war situations where like people really didn't know what was wrong with him it was ptsd which we know now but then it wasn't classified as that okay so he was good then because he was able to see these people have a problem and let's figure out why it's happening yeah yeah. Okay. And he was the one that actually chose to go for it and explore it. So like he is iconic for us. And even then, like we still do some of his concepts. Like I go into subconsciousness. I go into developing like, okay, this patterns form this way and this way. Right. So like a lot of theories that you look at now that people have built off of, they are built off his foundation of understanding of psych, of his ability to explore. Right. Yeah. So he had good things. We just don't always go and be like, 
that's because you have penis envy, right? Or that's because you have like no, we don't use those concepts anymore, which is good. Yeah, <laughs> transitioned into wider thinking. Okay, so, so where has it kind of evolved since Freud then? Right. So it depends on the field that you're in. Like I was in addictions, right? Addictions actually um, separated mental health and addictions for the longest time. So from Freud. There's multiple theories that developed off of him, right? And that's where people started exploring. You'll hear things like um, shock therapy and and medicine and all these other areas. The psych field is huge. And that's oh, where absolutely. mental health, there's millions of ways to treat mental health, which is fascinating and overwhelming, especially if you've never been in the field, right? And you know what you're looking at. I think there's like over 100 different theoretical orientations that you can have. Nowadays, though... The model is very much about looking at, it's called holistic, where you're taking in physical body and mental body and you're connecting together. For the longest time, though, like I was saying, with addictions, they separated those two. Oh, yeah. With like the shock therapy and all of those things where it would only treat one. They thought it was like a weakness of personality for addictions and like... Um, they didn't see that it was, you know, there was all these mental health disorders that people were connecting and using the behavior of an addiction to help cope with the mental health. Right. Yeah, I remember reading like Sylvia Plath, the bell jar, and she would go in and be treated for this thing and it broke her Yeah, because they weren't solving all of her problems holistically. They were just targeting whatever they said was the problem at that time, which now we know is not the way to do it. Yeah, which nowadays, this is the interesting thing, depending on who you're having treat you, they're going to be either one-minded, right? They're going to be medical, like they're going to probably give you pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. But now they're trying to be more holistic in their approach where they're using you know, medical like pharmaceuticals as well as like talk therapy and then other techniques like that are more explorative. And that's where honestly, it's more picking the right mental health process or journey for you that really fits what's going on. And that's where more power and education comes into play. Yeah. I mean, even recently, I guess if we go back from this young age, right, my little guy, seven, ADHD, and instead of just talking all the time or recommending medicine, they're like, oh, let's put him on a diet. Let's make sure he's having this holistic approach and really helping him as a person and his body. I think yeah. it's so cool. Like, But it's interesting because they are seeing like your therapist recommended it for him, which love your therapist. But yeah. It, it's cool because they are starting to, to correlate like nutrition feeds the chemicals in your brain, which then feeds ADHD presentation of behaviors, right? Right. And that's where it's a brand new thing that's come around the last 10 years, which is crazy to think about. But that's like, it's, it's just starting now. Yeah. Because if we had had this holistic approach from the time when we were kids, we wouldn't be the ones hoarding our Lisa Frank stickers thinking it was, you know, causing us too much anxiety to put them on a notebook because we could yeah. use them later. Yeah. Or a smacker's <laughs> lip gloss or, right. you know, you look back and you're like, how did I, or even just looking back now, like we didn't have the proper labels for, we've talked about this, like social anxiety or just realizing like, oh, I, I'm pretty athletic, but I never actually did sports because I was so terrified of performing in front of people. Yes. People had talked to me about that and we had known exactly what it was. I could have played sports, you know, things, just things like that, where you don't realize how much it plays into your life. Oh yeah. And I could have had a beautiful Lisa Frank stickered binder and it would have been happy. Girl, you and your creativeness, you would have been beautiful. Glitter galore. I know. Freaking out. All right. So we talked about how kind of a holistic approach is now happening with mental Mm -hmm. health these days. What other trends are you noticing that have been positive for mental health these days? Um, Like you were mentioning before, they are incorporating a lot of 
other aspects of the health field, right? And I love that they're incorporating not only like nutrition, because I think nutrition is fascinating. Got a, I got a minor in that. And I think that's just awesome, right? Um, or an almost minor, a different story. Anyways, so <laughs> Close enough. not trying to claim stuff, but you know. Um, so study that for a long time, love nutrition, how it affects our bodies. But I also think it's really interesting how they're pulling in exercise and how they're pulling in just even day-to-day mindfulness or techniques of nature therapy like there's a lot of cool other fields i keep trying to look at um this one called somatic experiencing and that's a really fancy name somatic just means like body um how your body interacts with your mind right okay okay and the training is meant to literally be where it's identifying how your body is interacting with your mental health and what happens to it. And then what feedback it's called biofeedback, right? Like what biological things are happening in your body to either create or be a response to a mental process. So when you have an emotion, I learned this once and I thought this was so cool. When you have like anger or rage, it creates a chemical release. It literally has a chemical component to it. Yes. Okay. I was listening about this the other day on an audiobook. Yes. Love that. Okay. Yeah. So when it creates the chemical component, if you don't properly let it work through and work those chemicals out, it stores into something else, which right. causes pent up things. There's also a book on this too about childhood trauma where it's saying like um, it uses the ACE score. It's not the body keeps the score. I'll have to look it up and put it on our website. But um, it talks all about how people have like autoimmune disorders and all these other crazy health things as a result of having childhood trauma because that trauma gets locked in your body, carries tension in your muscles, and then causes it to release in different ways. Okay. And I was listening to the other day, I was learning about like serotonin is another thing. Like when we go on serotonin, like SSRIs for anxiety or depression. Yeah. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, I'm not the expert here. But they were saying that like when you go on SSRIs, it only helps get those to where they need to go. Yes. But by using exercise and food, we can increase our serotonin, which otherwise isn't happening because our body won't produce it without the exercise and the food. 100%. This is where I get super nerdy too because there's this component when I'm treating things like anxiety and depression, which we're going to do episodes on those later if you want to like uh, listen to those. But they are both physiologically based based and they're also cognitively based so those are big words one just means like one is a literal way that your brain is wired it's going to cause it to come out more right it doesn't matter yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you you just have it right like me and you just we got anxiety we got adhd like it is what it is we were going to fix it yeah (laughs) we're just that's how we are however if those go unchecked which they went unchecked not out of fault just because we didn't know right and we were functioning enough that it then creates cognitive thought process. So this is like a thought process that reinforces that same brain process to work. So it's almost like these two work together in order to support it. And then you get weird things like my tendon rupturing in my, was that my junior year of college? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, and I've so, had it too, though. My Achilles, remember, where it's been wrapped yeah. in casts because yeah. they're like, oh, you're holding too much stress and it's like going into your nerves and your tendons. And it, was, it was ridiculous. It's so cool, though. Like, it's ridiculous, but it is so cool. I, this is my nerdiness. <laughs> where your body is literally telling you what's going on. And that's what this technique is, is somatic experiencing, is where your body is your clue maker to say, hey, maybe you have feelings that you aren't exploring. Maybe you have something going on. So, like, I have a lot of people come in with like stomach aches, lower back pain, heart to breathe or like they get headaches all the time and I'm like okay if you don't have any physiological reason pointing to why this is there like you know gluten intolerance or anything we have them checked out by medical people first and then after that we're like I think it's anxiety and it's been over like half of my clients it is 
back to their mental health every time. And I think that's the coolest thing is that we can fix some of these things that bother us day to day if we just check in with ourselves more. If we're just real about like frustrations, if we're just real about, you know, like this is scary, this is hard, this is something uncomfortable. The more that we're real about something and we're not fake about it, right? That's the hard part though, which is people want to look like they're okay all the time. Right. It, well, it's hard to be vulnerable, especially where society for so many years was saying it's not okay to have these feelings. You're taught to be sad or to be happy, but at a certain point, it's like put on your big girl pants and deal with it. Especially as mommies. I feel like um, going into like the mommy club now, I, the super mommy club, there's been times where I'm like, am I allowed to like, have the, you know, like these feelings are like, oh, these yeah. To be, and you are allowed, but it's it's been an interesting one. Once you get a label on you and a role on you, it's a very hard way to be vulnerable again. And it's a hard way to present that. Like I've had to reprogram myself um, during this pregnancy, even just being like, okay, like what did I have the other day? Oh, this week I, I was just grouchy as heck on one of these days. And I was like, clients you came were. in. I can vouch for this. Because <laughs> I call <laughs> my sister. husband. <laughs> He's a saint, but don't tell him that because his head gets big. This is a secret. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, okay, you were feeling vulnerable and upset. <laughs> I was just super not having it. And it was hormones that day. I knew it. And I was like, okay, how am I? And in grad school, we're trained to note to our clients what we're feeling. So the clients don't take it on themselves. And if they feel something off, they don't label it as something they've done wrong or anything like that, right? So I go into this pregnant and I'm like, how do you explain to clients that you don't even know what's going on? You're just pissed. Like, you're just so mad. <laughs> my back is aching and my belt's too tight. <laughs> And luckily, you know, my first one was one of my clients I've had for a long time and I tested it out with them. And the response I got was awesome because they were also female. I was like, I am just ticked at the world today. I just don't like my hormones and I don't know what to do with them. And it was the coolest moment because it was actually connecting and bonding instead of yeah. me thinking I was going to look vulnerable. Well, right? What a great example of how to like form that thought for a client to be, this is me. I feel this because, and here's what's happening. Like that was so great that you did that. <laughs> right. But even for me, a person who practices this at, at least six hours every day and tries to do it in her own life because I'm trained to do it. Right. It right. was still hard. And I think that's where this important conversation coming back to mental health and doing it every day is so vital. If we're not teaching our littles how to do it, if we're not teaching ourselves how to do it and how to model it and how to practice it and how to recognize it, then we're still going to suffer and we're still going to have all these weird things that we're talking about, like tendons rupturing and stomach aches and all these other things. And it yep. just comes back to, can we practice these concepts in our day-to-day -day life? And I think an important thing to know, and I know we're going to dive into this on our like next episode, but is changes. As changes come, our response is going to change. Like Taylor, you mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, you're pregnant, you're having your first baby, which I'm mm -hmm. so excited. Um, but and then even in my own life, right? Like mom of two, things change. I now have a tween. My son's not a baby. Like we have to learn to respond to these different feelings and emotions as they come throughout life, even with the changes. And so I'm excited mm -hmm. to talk about that more next week. But I think it's, we need to give ourselves grace, right? Like a little bit to be, it's okay, yeah. life changes. And now we just respond from where we're at. So I yeah. guess, how would you, how would you say that on things like days, like you would say, sometimes it's just hard. How would I you say to respond? I go back to, and the reason I use the word fake is because that's what my teens use. So yeah. some of my terminology is not fancy. But at the end of the day, it goes back to, are you able to be real enough to admit to yourself 
that you are not okay. And if you're okay with admitting it to yourself first, then you can do others because yourself is the hardest one to sell, honestly. Oh, amen to that. My eye twitch and I agree. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's a hard. <laughs> and I think that's the one that's judging us the most. Like having watched so many people come in, I meet these wonderful human beings and they're like, you probably think I'm the worst person ever. And I'm like, no, I love you. Like, and they're like, you yeah, know my secrets. And I'm like, you, you want to know all my secrets? Like, they're the same. You know, like, we all are messed up. We all are broken. But when you can finally be like, I know I'm broken, but I'm okay with being broken. That's where the progress can change, right? And that's where you can embrace it. It's that concept. But remember the Kintsugi concept? Oh, 100%. I love that concept. Okay, explain Kintsugi for us because it's my favorite. Okay, so Kintsugi is amazing because it's a Japanese art form, right? Mm -hmm. If I remember right. Yeah, okay, it's so ancient Japanese. It's like thousands of years old ancient japanese so back in ancient japanese <laughs> <laughs> this is and not a historical podcast <laughs> so back in japan when they used to break pots rather than like throwing them away and thinking that they were useless they would put them back together and they would meld them in with gold because they said that their weaknesses had become their strengths and mm. i love that so much because I think even in our own daily lives and as we're raising children, our weaknesses are our strengths sometimes. Like that's the things that define us and that we've overcome. Mm -hmm. I call it um, earning your stripes. Yeah. And every time I have to like describe this concept to a client, I think they always cry at the end, which is is this sweet because it's finally this concept of no longer super gluing ourselves back together, which is what society has taught us to do. You think it's just about how it's been set up, especially as females. Like males have the same, it's just different, right? But I've just noticed as a mommy, as like a woman trying to present in a certain way and like a business owner and all these things, we think we have this role that we have to live up to. And then when we can't do it, we want to hide that. We want to mask it, super glue it up and be like, I'm fine. It's fine. And just run yeah. away from it. Right. And then as we've gone on, I've noticed the things that my clients want to know the most about me are not what I do right. It's what I've done wrong. <laughs> and it's, well, it makes you relatable. It, yes. You're not this like perfect, you know, Miss yep. Gucci. You're a real life human being. <laughs> yep. And it shows that I'm willing to not only accept them but accept myself and if I can accept myself I think that's where people really feel the healing at is I've left enough space for me to be broken that of course I'm gonna leave space for you to be broken because I'm you know like I'm gonna care more about me being broken than you and the minute that I'm allowing and showing them that I can do that is a minute people are like okay then we can explore this too we can be real together and the, the I actually looked it up the concept for they have a name for the imperfection, right? The thing that we were talking about, like loving your imperfections and, and owning it. It's called Wabi Sabi. And it's centered on acceptance of transience and imperfection. I love that. I thought it was beautiful. So when we're going through some of these things, I think that's why I was going to ask you, which I feel like we just kind of answered it, but I'm curious what you're going to say now. Okay. Why is mental health such a hot topic nowadays? I think it's because as like technology has improved and the internet, there's just more place for people to talk about their feelings and it just opens it up a little bit more. And as that's happened, maybe part of it too is because we were raised in a generation, right? Like a lot of us 90s kids where we weren't allowed to talk about these things and we don't want to hide them from our own children. Like we want them to learn that it's okay to talk about them and to have these feelings and to grow and to, but you say, have that wabi-sabi <laughs> like come and be a part of their lives I love that yeah I've been thinking about this one a lot lately because I feel like um 
it's fascinating. Whenever I meet a teen, they're always like, I want to be you. I want to be a therapist. And in my head, I'm like, I want to be you too. (laughs) No, no, my eyeball like twitches like, don't do it. (laughs) Not because it's not a beautiful world. It's because it's um, heavy and it's an interesting world to navigate, right? And your brain thinks very different than before. I can, like, you knew me before and you knew me after. Uh And I feel like I'm very (laughs) different. (laughs) same but different right yeah and it's been interesting because it's this glorified subject and I keep I don't know if I really have a good answer of why today why now like why is it such a hot topic now I'm grateful that it is but I don't know if I really have this better understanding of why we're all choosing to love and accept each other better why we're all choosing to to be real with ourselves and actually let ourselves live a healthy quality of life And maybe you're right. Maybe it's technology or maybe it's just that we're trying to be better as human beings and grow in a more effective way than what we've done for thousands of years. Which either way, I'll take it. I mean, the world needs more love as, yeah, as the Beatles have said. I was like, are we going to refer to Beatles? (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, I think that's what this really is about, though, is we are as a generation trying to pull more love into our lives because this world is overwhelming. Things are hard, right? And instead of saying suck it up and keep doing the things that w- the way we've done for thousands of years, it's finally saying, why can't we recreate the wheel? Which oh, is yeah. a big question. Why can't we create like recreate the wheel, right? And that's where it's beautiful, but it's scary to explore. And I get how people are reserved on both sides. But I think the more you go into this field, the less you're going to be scared of mental health and the more you're just going to realize the beauty that it holds and the space that you can actually – come to find a better quality of life. I tell people I'm not here just to get you through. I'm here to create the life you want. It's that Mar- um, Maya Angelou quote. Do you remember that one? I'm not here merely to survive, but to thrive and do so with a little style, compassion. I think she says grace or something. I don't remember it fully, but I just remember that statement of I'm not here to survive. I'm here to thrive. And that's what we want to teach you guys how to do is how are you going to thrive? Not just be that. here, but to live. I love that with a little bit of style. I know. I love that she threw that in there because I have my clothes. I know. (laughs) I'm okay Uh, with that. Well, I am so excited to go on this like mental health journey with you on this podcast. And I'm so glad that we're able to do this and bring it out to everybody in the world. Me too. And we can do it as sisters because you're my best friend. So it makes it better. (laughs) It totally everything's always better with a sister and a best friend. I mean, you said it the other day. We make a perfect human. So it's true. Together we are a perfect human. We are whole. So for next episode, as we kind of suggested or foreshadowed before, we're going to talk about changes. We really were trying to think how we wanted to present these first two episodes specifically of um, just introducing the topic of mental health and then what do we want to go into next. And I think for all of us, especially, I mean, it's May, we're going into June, but Brittany and I are both on kind of this cusp of changes in our lives. And it's really making us think, how do we deal with transitions? I mean, mine is huge. I'm never going to not have a kid again. And that's where, (laughs) well, human, Um, that's where I think for us, our minds are really on the subject of how do we handle transitions and what is normal to experience and then what kind of levels it up to maybe something else known as like transitional anxiety or anxiety. So we'll talk about that one next week. Britt, did you have any questions on what we're going to do next week? No, I'm just excited to talk about ch-ch-ch-changes. I knew you were going to sing that. I just knew. (laughs) 
<laughs> you knew it was coming. <laughs> like, where is it? All right. But right. in the meantime, uh, we'll catch you next week. But for now, you can find us on social media through Uhane Counseling. Um, we'll link that down in our show notes. And you can also like us and follow us on Spotify or Apple. Well, thanks, friends.